that you might become what God wants you to become and totally prepared for the real existence, the one that lasts forever, the one you're not born into to die. Now that may sound kind of strict, but how many of you were born into this life to live forever? One of the first things we learn in our lives on this planet is that it's not gonna last forever. And some of those lessons are pretty hard and bitter and very difficult because with the few senses we've been given to measure our surroundings with, we really can't see beyond this reality. We hear about it. And there are those of us who want to believe. Thank you, Lord, that we were made to want to believe because there are so many people living around us that don't really want to believe and they can't find God no matter how hard they try. They read the Bible, they look at it, they make fun of it, they laugh at it. And God closes his message to people like that. And they read it and they can't understand it on his terms. And oftentimes it's written deliberately to exclude them from the truth. Which is the great I am in the great place that is. Will never ever falter and it will be an anchorment for all of us forever. Now, I want to remind you that you have this little thing here for taking notes. I don't hear very well, so it won't work if you ask me questions during the service. But if you write questions on this that you have, I'd be happy to get back to you with, as soon as I can, either in some future service or personally, if you wish. When I was seven years old, World War II had ended, and my uncle serving on a ship in Japan, had been into a lot of polluted waters and came home to die of kidney infection. His young wife had been waiting patiently for him to come and they, they sought to purchase a home and he was fighting off kidney infection and it could not be handled, so he passed. And I remember the funeral services where everyone around me cried and felt miserable and horrible. And all of us were saying the same things. Why do the good go first? And I can tell you an answer to that question because it's a lot better there. And it is. He has been gifted with one wonderful time now for over 55 years. Paradise, beautiful sounds, everything pleasing, and an enhanced ability to feel the joy around him and to pick up with that. Have you ever woken up on a, on a good day and, you, oh, everything's just going great and you're having a good time? It's like that. And we've all had our other kinds of days where you wake up and wonder why you did. And heaven's not like that. I love the psalm that this opens up with, that our service opens up with. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. He didn't say everyone in it. He said everything in it. Everything on this place is his. Well, I preach in a uh, situation on a regular basis, four times a week. 
to people who are through living in this life and who are waiting to pass. And this can be one of the most depressing things to face that you can imagine because most of them feel like they've lived their lives for nothing and like King Solomon that all is vanity and what was the point? And then there are the few, and I mean few, who are happily waiting to achieve that ultimate of achievements, to enter Zion and to realize the salvation that Jesus Christ bought and paid for for anyone in the world who would claim it. And they're okay. But I have to pick my words carefully when I talk with these people because every day often is a last shot. I come back and they're not there. And that's how it is. I've had to search the Bible carefully to find ways to cheer them up. <laughs> and it's a little hard to do. I mean, where's your self-worth when your life is over and you feel like God's forgotten you. I can, in another sermon, solve that problem for you very quickly. God will never, ever forget you, and I can prove it. He will not let you fall through the cracks in the floor even if there's an earthquake going on at the time. And even if you're torn in a million shreds, he'll be able to find every part of him, and I can tell you it's true. It is true. I have personally experienced tremendous <laughs> trepidations in many circumstances. And it's wonderful when you walk away just laughing because you know that he has been with you. It's beautiful. My first glimpse of this place we're on and my last are quite different. I used to look at beautiful things in the world and see them as wonderful. Now I see things like the Grand Canyon is the result of great tumult on the earth and Yellowstone Park as a result of great tragedy at some point in history and the Pacific Ocean as a source for flooding even here. Um, even ice can be a problem. We on this planet are born into a situation of testing a situation of growing if we would but try to become what God wants us to become. And he knows, as well as I do, much more than I do, that we are loaded with abundant opportunities to serve him, primarily because of disasters. It turns out disasters aren't really quite as disastrous as we might think of them. We've had a, our share this summer, haven't we? I remember looking at the sun through what was left of Multnomah Falls, smoke drifting between us and the sun. I remember fearing for my daughter's life while they were waiting for the hurricanes to come through. And uh, a lot of people have had trouble with fires in California we are living very sheltered lives, it turns out, when compared to the lives of others. And I just hope and pray that 
some disaster in your future doesn't shake your faith to the point that you just no longer wish to cope and you lose your faith. I remember my dad coming home from my sister's funeral saying the words, I can never trust a God that would do something like that. The problem is the anchorment. He is anchored in this age and he can't see beyond it. And if you're not anchored in eternity, I mean anchored, tied to the ship in something that can't break, <laughs> you know, if you're not anchored, you are a potential walking spiritual disaster because you must be anchored in eternity before you can see the beauty of it and feel it around you at all times. What happened to me was I took up a little hobby of trying to pray to God all the time, taking Paul's advice, never cease praying, you know. I found I couldn't do it. Have you ever tried to do that? I hope you do, and I hope you keep trying, because you get better at it. But I had to teach myself habit patterns, like pray every time you eat, uh, pray every time you drink some water, pray every time you go for a walk, pray every time you drive. You know, it, it, as, as I got better at each one, then I'd add something to the list. And as I started to graduate into that, I began to realize that I had also devaluated that. By a constant prayer, I was not able to render the praise of respect and fear and downright awe and render appropriate kneeling and bowing and that kind of thing. It got to be more of a nonchalant buddy type relationship. So it seems like no matter what we do to anchor ourselves to God's, we get in our own way because we're humans, you see. Something comes up to change the subject. And I just, this is when my life turned around and I started experiencing some really strange but wonderful things that I remember well sitting in our car and pulling out into Barber Boulevard one evening and me and my wife looked at each other and said goodbye because coming straight at us was a car flying through the air sideways. Straight at us. Landed, flipped around in a circle. This violates all of the laws of physics that I know of. The car came right at us, landed, went around us, and went down the road and drove off. And we were literally crying. Thank you, Lord, for showing yourself to me. It really gets your attention. And after crying, we were laughing all the way to church because we were on our way to a, a choir rehearsal. And it was just, that didn't go out of our minds for a long time. Now, let's go back to my uncle for a minute. While he was enjoying his wonderful extra time in heaven. My aunt was living on this place pretty much in the other place because she was terribly wiped out and missed him. And she went on to become a registered nurse and work in Wilcox Hospital. And my ears were graced every time she'd visit us 
with the things that she was doing with women who were having troubles, troubles with their baby, troubles with their husband, troubles with family, trouble with finances. And she would go back in her off hours and spend time with those people. She was establishing the deeds that Jesus Christ looks for in the saved. And she enriched her salvation in this way, choosing to use her time to help other people, anchoring herself to God unbreakably. And when she passed, I have no doubt that there was a mountain of evidence of good deeds done by that woman that would not have been done if my uncle had passed when he had, if he had not passed then. She wouldn't have been left alone. She wouldn't have needed to go to work. They could have enjoyed the good life, so to speak, here on earth, doing nothing to please God, and maybe even have drifted away from his faith too. You see, the disaster, what's it worth? What's a life worth? Let's see, you go to eternity, and you experience bliss for a lifetime, and a lifetime, and a lifetime. And if I kept saying that forever, I still wouldn't complete the circle. What was that life worth? You can't compute it. The disaster of this one person that I loved, that we all loved, built us a little closer to God. If you saved one person in your lifetime, the results are endless. Now, let's flash forward to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a country still without power or any kind of infrastructure. And there are many poor people there who are in need of help. And this has become an opportunity for people to find something to do for God and to please him in their acts. It's also become an opportunity for some of them to meet the Lord early and have a wonderful time. It's been an opportunity for Puerto, Puerto Ricans to uh, help each other. It's been an opportunity for some of them to fail the course too, but there again, that's up to us. These disasters that we have are engines graduating people towards salvation. And if you can see them that way, it turns out they aren't really quite as big a disaster. Oh, if you're looking in earthly terms, they're a terrible disaster. I agree. But if you're looking in your anchorment, in eternal terms, through God's eyes, if you will, if you're looking through God's eyes, you see them as opportunities to reap great harvests of salvation both in the people that are harvested then and the people that will be later because of the things that they're encouraged to do and sometimes literally forced to do in the lives they have to let live. Jesus seemed a little bit callous at first when he stayed those extra days that I'm going to read to you about right now. This is John 8. 52. If anyone, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, 
he will never see death. That's pretty good. And the people climbed all over him and criticized him and quoted him as having said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And this is what Jesus said. That's, that's pretty cool. I remember watching that car come toward me. You just hang on. If that car had gone through us, we would never have felt death. But it's comforting to me to know that it's as though our life continues without anything else. It just We're still there. But the soundings are different. And after being given 30 years to think that over, I had a circumstance on the way to Salem that I told you about before, where I was caught in the rain on the freeway and a bridge that was being worked on had a big concrete things moving over the other lane, only somebody forgot to paint it. And I'm headed straight toward this, and I can't go anywhere because there's a truck beside me. And there's no room. I mean, I had this much room to put the car through. And I braced myself to hit that and the truck rear tire at exactly the same instrument so my car wouldn't flip and kill the driver. And I got through it. Everything was quiet. There was no rain. And I just assumed I was dead. Is this what heaven's like? You know? And the driver in the other lane over there, driving along, and I actually cried. I felt like God decided he didn't want me in heaven after all. It was, I find out what it feels like to taste death. Nothing happens. You're just there. That has been so helpful for me at rehab and at assisted living situations where people are scared, you see, because I've been able to tell them what it feels like to die. You don't feel a thing. You're happy as a clam, scenery changes. Here I am, wow, it's happening. You know, that's not exactly a tragedy, folks. <laughs> Coming back from Salem on that same road, I saw what could have happened to me because it happened to someone else. There was a car upside down in pieces all over the highway, a truck rolled over on the other side of the road and a line clear back into Portland because somebody did what I did, only they didn't get away with it. I did not put that car to a space that wide. Someone we all know did that for me and I didn't feel a thing, but it gave me an experience of knowing what the other person was feeling at the time when they hit because they didn't feel a thing. And I'm here to tell you that. It's really fun to work for the Lord. It's a relief to know that people don't have to be afraid about things. A certain young man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. If you choose to track me, I'm on John 11. It was Mary 
and her sister Martha. It is Mary who had anointed Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. Is the Bible trying to establish that this is a friend of Jesus? That it's somebody that Jesus knows personally? I mean, beyond being Jesus and really a friend? But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer where he was. On earthly terms, only earthly terms, that's the biggest story of neglect there ever was. On God's terms, it's a welcome disaster because this propels Lazarus into a very strong salvation. One of the, if not the, one person that demonstrated for all to see the power of Jesus Christ came about from that disaster. And even trusting Mary and trusting Martha couldn't see at the time any good of it. They were in horrible shape. And even Jesus wept at the crying and intensity of the pain of those people. And when Lazarus came forth from that cave, he was bound and tied, bound and tied, and covered, unable to breathe. Now there are those who argue that this could have been a put up job. Have you ever tried to breathe with a pillowcase over your head? <laughs> Think about that. He was bound. How did he get out of that cave? Jesus literally lifted him with his voice, don't you see? And what were the first words Jesus said? I have an idea, he must have been laughing at the time. Untie him and let him go. Now, I've had the opportunity to pray people back to health from a bedside where they were bound and determined to die. And it really wipes you out when two weeks later they die anyway, even after you've saved them. And I'm here to tell you the truth. I've, I've been responsible through prayer. God has worked through me. I know it didn't do it. But uh, eight times now, people brought to life, just certain to die any minute. And it really is fun to see that, but it's hard on you when a few, a few weeks or months or six months later, I think the longest time was six months, now one one was nine months about, and then they die anyway. But you see, these people were given an opportunity to go out with their boots on at the time that God was expecting to take them home and given a few more days or whatever to establish credence, even more so in their salvation than they already had. Almost all of these people were people that are seen by a lot of people, heavily influential in a large church or even a small one. And they were, they had eyes on them. Lazarus had eyes on himself too, didn't he? The people from the Sanhedrin were coming out to, to uh, 
comfort these women. And it's interesting to me that these people went back and the people that didn't see it were even more angry at Jesus and they decided to take a contract out on Lazarus too, you see, because they couldn't afford to have him around. Now the Bible doesn't tell much about that except that that was the case. And I have no doubt that he was dispatched shortly after Jesus was by the Jewish people at the time. So what was the point? According to earthly terms, no point. But if you see this earth as a generator to populate heaven, this is a real success story. For Lazarus, for the people who saw him, who were then saved, and the people who were helping in any way that they could. It was a wonderful success story. Okay, so let's turn up the price of the disaster for a few minutes. I seem to recall a situation when I was young where six million Jews, people who don't worship Jesus or know Jesus, people who would turn away from Jesus, but who love God and who did marvelous acts while their own demise was being carefully planned by the Nazi party, six million, that's a big disaster. And it's interesting to me when we read Matthew 5, how these people fit into salvation. It's kind of fun to read that. I want you to think now about a Jewish person who does not know Christ. And I use this as an ultimate nasty rotten disaster, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Were those people of poor of spirit? <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Were they mourning? How many people have been mourning afterwards? At least another six million. And they shall be comforted. Are they comforted here? No. But Jesus' words are for the eternal, and they're comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. I haven't heard many stories of those people fighting back, have you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Boy, they sure did. It doesn't say those Christians. It says those. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Isn't someone who's assisting somebody in trouble being merciful? Isn't the opportunity to be merciful presented to you in face of some kind of disaster? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I see that whole Holocaust as a generator generating people toward heaven either in the direct atrocities that they received or even their relations having received these things. And it's all in here in this wonderful book. I see this book being attacked by certain people who call themselves scientists and are not. As far as I know, 
if you interpret this book correctly, there is no problem between you and accurate science. But I've been reading a book wanting to know more about the Bible. It says, The Bible Unearthed, an archaeological book. I was on about the third page when I began to realize this wasn't something that was good. Basically, they've erased half the Bible. They haven't looked. Jesus says these words, search and you shall find. Well, they searched, but they weren't looking for anything. Knock. They were not knocking, and they didn't find. And now they've printed something that will weaken the faith of anybody that reads it. This is bad news, and it needs to be discredited accurately so that people will no longer believe. They've got Abraham up to about 6,000, no, 600 B.C. Not enough time for any of that story to take place, you see. No evidence. Go camping sometime. Abraham camped a lot, I understand. How many artifacts do you leave behind your campsite that are going to lead people to your name? <laughs> it's all where you look. And sometimes the Bible answers its own questions quite well. I want to tell you about my sister for a minute. She passed at the age of 36 with two young children. And all of us around her have seen what was going to take place after she passed. And she was relieved of a lot of family disasters that she never had to experience. And she has had 50 years now of bliss. And the people who were related to that situation had a lot of time of mourning and taking life seriously because of it and doing different than they otherwise would have done and I believe most of them became closer to God because of that passing. It was a surprise for my family and her family and friends and relatives but uh, if you look through what you hope are the eyes of God. You start to see these sad times as literally heaven populating good times. If you're suffering, are you not in good company? Psalm 22. I love the placement of this. Do you know anybody that doesn't know how to find the 23rd Psalm? It's right next to it. You won't have any trouble going home and looking it up. And Psalm 24 is just as great. <laughs> so, who is this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Anybody recognize the author of that statement? This is a thousand years before he said it. King David wrote this. This was before crucifixion was invented. How would David know that his bones were separating or that he could count each one of them or that his lips would be dry? How would David know that? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. This is the Son of God. 
if you're ever suffering, you're in good company. And by night, I have no rest. Listen to his next comment. Yet you are holy. This is a direction book in how to talk to God when you are literally being tortured with no hope. You are holy, perfect, wonderful. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered him. These are praise statements coming from someone in tremendous torment. It's a direction book for us when disaster hits. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. Well, that certainly is not Jesus Christ. But it certainly is a humble statement, isn't it? For the Son of God, the King of the universe, to author that statement is a lesson in not expecting much. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Have you ever noticed when you're reading prophecy that the tense changes back and forth without notice? Past tense, future tense, present tense. It's, it throws you off. And people who don't want to believe can't get through that. It's only the people who want to believe who can be taught to believe. And even the, the presence, you know, it's first person or third person or second person. And you have to kind of track where God is and where the others are as well. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Now sometimes in the Bible, words are said that aren't about what they're talking about. The next statement in verse 12 says, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Are we talking about cattle here? Or are we talking about power and might that will hurt you just for the fun of it? You see, when you take things literally, every verse, every word literally, you lose a lot. They open their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. When that car was coming at me at Barber Boulevard, my heart was like wax. We just said goodbye. There wasn't anything we could do. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. This is amazing that David could see this a thousand years before it happened and have the feelings of being crucified so perfect, so well described. This is 
scripture. This is God's word. And it's how the Bible lives in strength. And then it says, for dogs have surrounded me. Are we talking about animals? Or are we talking about temperaments? I was never so scared in my life when I went out to rescue our cat one night in a trailer court. She was out there screaming away, so I went out to grab her before the neighbors complained. And there were these three German Shepherd feral dogs. And it was enough to send shivers up and down my spine because I was now in their arena. That was scary stuff. Yes, I think the description on the cross is accurate. Literally, the mood, the situation. Dogs have surrounded me. They divide my garments and they divide my clothing. They cast them for lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Never once criticizing God, never once arguing with God, never once denying with God. And you can imagine the searing pain and disappointment of these feelings. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you will answer me. Now at 22, a system of praise begins again. And again, I see this as a direction book toward getting us through hard times when they hit because the one who suffered more than any of us can showed us how to render praise to God. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. And it goes on for another half a chapter with nothing but praise. If you've been to the doctors recently and received hard news, if you have somebody close to you that has, Maybe your time on earth is not going to be all that much fun anymore. But for my little problems, I seem to have noticed that having faith in God and being anchored in the eternal realm rather than the earthly realm, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried about pain. I'm not scared to die. And it's wonderful that when you're lying there in the dirt hurting with your hip on fire, you can see a little crocus in front of you and say, wow, that's really beautiful. It's just a matter of what you want to focus on. If you want to focus on fear and pain, you're going to suffer. If you want to focus on the glory of God and his love for you, he finds ways to entertain you that are beautiful, even if you're in the process of leaving this globe. It's marvelous to have God nurturing us in this way. I want you to think about your heart for a moment. I don't mean the organ. I mean the part of you that is you. 
that welcomes God. I want you to think how ancient these hearts are. How long have people had hearts like that? Nobody knows, right? Is that ancient? Is the heart an ancient door? This is my favorite psalm of all. It's Psalm 24, again, right next to 23. And it begins on verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Isn't that beautiful? I see mechanically from afar this parade with Jesus Christ and these ancient doors being opened as he goes in. But I also see the openness of the hearts of people destined for the kingdom with the king of glory going in. And I think the second interpretation may be more accurate than the first. In the Old Testament, when something's important, it doesn't say this is very important or this is really important. It says it twice. And this is written literally two times for emphasis. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Is there a battle going on in our bodies, in our hearts? God is the king of those battles if you will let him in. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Do not let your anchorment be diminished. There's nothing real around you right now. I want you to look around this room and see if you can find something that'll be here a million years from now. How big a part of eternity is a million years? Immeasurably small. We are, as James put it, a vapor. We are living in a place that is not real. And our senses limit us so that we cannot see into a place that is extremely real. You will never feel more real than you ever felt until you get to heaven. And then you will feel more real. You will see people who are real. We will not be vapors in heaven. We will have left that forever. And our glory and our joy will never stop. If you can hang on to that and look for God around you everywhere you go, you will find him in little leaves even. I was looking at my Christmas trees yesterday and I had a sick tree, so I cut off a limb and took it inside and looked at it under a microscope. And I didn't know that these fir needles had little feathers at their base. Beautiful little feathers, microscopic. You have to search to find it. It's just, these trees are beautiful. And when I walk at night and can't see, I have a little light on my head, you know, which gives me a perfect reflection. And there are these droplets of water. They're diamonds coming back at me. It's a gorgeous, beautiful thing. And I thank the Lord when that happens for the beautiful display that I get to witness 
but also for the perception of being able to see it, even in color. Only your perception of color in heaven will be much better, and you'll be able to see other wavelengths. And the, the gorgeous array of those colors remind me of Ezekiel's description of God's throne. We think of God as light in color. <laughs> it's, it's marvelous, and I just hope that you can want to see those things enough to let go of this reality and quit worrying about it. I, I'm facing some heavy things with my children now. Um, I don't expect to, I, I, I expect to outlive a couple of them. And when that happens, I want to remember my own words because I know I will need to. But folks, this is temporary and we need to be braced for that. How many of us, and I'm gonna keep my hand down because that's the truth, how many of us have contributed toward flood victims this year? Now, I don't mean necessarily monetarily. How about praying for them? I, I like to pray like this. Father, I don't know the people in Puerto Rico but I know that there has to be a little boy without parents now. Maybe you know three or four of them. Maybe you know a whole 60 of them. Father, would you please bless those people? Would you bring them water? Would you bring them evidence of your love? Would you touch them? You can pray for people and you can be powerful with your prayers, you see? People you've never heard of. What about those people that lost their homes in Los Angeles? or? or I guess it was Los Angeles, but Northern California. You, you know what I'm saying. How many of you have been concerned about the ash heap that our wonderful Columbia Gorge has become? Did you know that it's been an ash heap before? There's no mistake about why those rocks are black. <laughs> They've been black for thousands of years. They were even covered up with a 400 foot flood about 10,000 years ago. This place is a walking disaster. That's why it's beautiful. It's the same with other places that are beautiful. And uh, boy, if you're trying to farm one of those places, you'd, you wouldn't be very happy there. I was farming a disaster last summer. I couldn't bring water in enough to keep my trees alive. So while I was able to keep them alive, they didn't do much growing. Other people have had trouble with that too. Who cares, you know? Is this important? What was important was that person that was helped by me through emotional pain when it was really there. I was able to be fortunate enough by the provision of God to have some friends that needed comforting that I knew how to comfort. For example, I had a friend who loved his dog and he lost his dog. I was able to show him an Isaiah where he'll see that dog again. And I was also able to show him biblically that he's not double-crossing or sabotaging that dog when he takes another one of his kind and gives it a home from a shelter. You see, you can turn disasters into good things and you can help other people through times that are bad and even yourself. And I know I sound like I'm kind of stuck on this subject, but I am because this subject is my life. This is what I live with all week, every week. 
praying for people that I may never see again and probably won't in three or four weeks. And it's, at first it was devastating and now it's exhilarating because every time I lose one of them, I have a picture of what they didn't suffer under and a pretty good idea of some of the things they're experiencing. A man died right in front of me at the same table three weeks ago. He choked on something. Next thing we knew, we had no pulse. And everybody was panicking at San Antonio. I said, just a minute. Think about what he's experiencing right now. This is what he's experiencing right now. Wow. I'm here. I'm home. Now, I think it's a good idea to miss this man, to not put down his worth on earth, but to respect him and celebrate his life. But don't mourn for him. He's having a better party than we ever dreamed of. <laughs> and it will continue forever. I happen to know this because he was a Christian. I know that for sure. It's, it's wonderful when your family and all of the people you love believe in Jesus and serve him. There's something I want to share with you. It's a very simple, small thing, but it's a wonderful quote. And I'm hoping I'm going to find it right now. I don't want to waste your time looking for it. Jesus says, those of you who do my commandments will never taste death. His exact words were never see death. The people mocking him requoted it as taste death. And it isn't just believing, it's following what he wants us to do and be. And there's a lot more to this than just going to church and loving each other. We need to love all life, all life. Psalm 145. I'm reading the, from verse 14 to 21, and this would be my last statement today. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Notice the absence of the word humans, men, Christians, things that were from earth. He says all. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. Open your horizons for a minute. All what? You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Not around here. Have you ever seen birds shivering and starving in the winter snow? I have. That's, this is about there. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. 
He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. It's interesting to me that there's no such thing as a wicked animal because they're made to be like that. The only animal that has some of its kind being wicked would be humankind. I'm sorry about that. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. And some flesh blesses his holy name just by being, just by being what they were meant to be. Holy Father, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your beauty and the creation that you have given for each of us to live in. Thank you for inventing time and all that lives within it. Thank you for this universe that we see in this dimension. Thank you, Father, that there is a future dimension that cannot be found from this place, but that where we will be and where all that you save will be. And Father, I, I save a lot of things I shouldn't keep and I get a lot of encouragement around home to get rid of some of that stuff. But I know what it means to save something. And when you say something's going to be saved, it's going to be saved. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Thank you for offering us lives of victory and glory that we can look forward to even in times of difficulty. Father, I lift these people up before you, not that I have a right to do that, but it's because of where I'm at. And I pray, Father, that you will see into each beating heart in this room the wonderful praises and love that is felt for you. Because, Lord, these people want to please you. These people want to show you their love. And they want for you to be in their lives all the time. Bless them, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand and, and sing.
where we can be together of one mind and one body for you. Thank you for blessing us and gifting us with your presence in our lives, even when we least expect it. Bless us, Father, as we leave this place today and walk with us and allow us to walk with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Holy Son, our Holy Savior. Amen.